welcome to Calvary Apostolic Lighthouse, reflecting God's light in a world of darkness. Join in with us each week as we study, search, and grow in the Word of the Lord. It is our prayer today that God blesses your life through the words you hear and that you find strength and encouragement for your journey. God bless and enjoy. Praise the Lord, everyone. Brother Morrison, would you hand me my Bible? New King James Version. You may be seated. <clears throat> Brother Morrison, would you hand me my Bible, please? It's, uh, good. oh, thank you. Living Bible, paraphrased. So good to be here with you this morning. I hope you've enjoyed the weather we've been having. <clears throat> Brother Morrison, would you hand me my Bible? Huh. New International Version. Um, so we can't always have the weather we'd like to have, but we enjoy, try to enjoy what comes our way. <clears throat> Brother Morrison, would you hand me my Bible? Uh, no. So good to see everybody here. Um. Mm. Just got a bunch of them in it. American Standard Version. Yeah. And so I hope you didn't have trouble finding a parking place this morning. Seems like word got out that I was teaching. And uh, uh, no, Brother Morrison, would you hand me my Bible? Uh, no. Uh, English Standard Version. And so I'm uh, glad that each and every one has uh, made it here this morning. I wouldn't want to try teaching to uh, a bunch of empty seats, uh, but Brother Morrison, would you hand me my Bible? Uh, no. So glad you're here. Uh, New Testament and modern English. Phillips. Uh, and so we encourage you to invite your friends, your families, your enemies, and, and all. Uh, no. Brother Morrison, would you hand me my Bible? And uh, so that they could get in on what's happening here at Calvary Apostolic Lighthouse, New Jerusalem Bible. And uh, hopefully glean something from the Word of the Lord. And so as it is, uh, Brother Morrison, would you hand me my Bible? And uh, <clears throat> oh, the contemporary English version. Um, so I'd like to really get right on into this study this morning, but <clears throat> I need my Bible. Brother Morrison, would you hand me my Bible? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, the first version just for you, just for kids. And so we need to find a place to begin here this morning, and I would like to I don't know whether to have you open your Bibles or not, but uh, I need to, uh, I, oh, Brother Moose, would you hand me my Bible? Parallel New Testament. Okay. 
And so it's, uh, it's always important to pay attention to the Word of God. And uh, be sure that what you hear is the Word of God and so on. Like, uh, most of you in my Bible. The book. Large print edition. Um, so, like we said, we are so very, very glad you're here. Um, we would like to get in. You may be seated. Brother Morrison, would you hand me my Bible? King James Version. Thank you, Brother Morrison, for finally handing me my Bible. Whew. Now, the, uh, before we uh, get on any further, I would like to uh, do a bit of review uh, for the sake of those that did not get to hear last time when we were here. Uh, and I didn't get to hear the introduction. And also to give a second chance to those who were busy scrolling on their iPhone and completely ignored what was being said. Give them a second chance. And so it's noteworthy that in the Bible, the Word is personified or, or portrayed in the masculine form. The Word is. Namely, the man Christ Jesus. The Word was made flesh. And yet wisdom is portrayed in the feminine gender. Uh, an example, like she's uh, called sister, kinswoman, she, her. And uh, as, if, as if wisdom were a woman. And some of the ancients have said, love the Scriptures... And wisdom shall love thee. In other words, love the word, and wisdom shall love thee. Now let me say right up front here that I'm a happily married man. And uh, I have the one that I want. I feel that I have obtained favor of the Lord in her. And... Uh, She's not able to be here this morning. She had to work this morning. However, here's a picture of her I drew of her some years ago. <clears throat> and uh, Her name is Janie, and it means God's gracious gift, according to the uh, name dictionaries. And, of course, she's my little wildwood flower. I've even written a song for her and that. Might do it for you sometime. And so... Uh, what, as somebody has said so wittingly, I wouldn't take a million dollars for the one I've got, and I wouldn't give you a nickel for another. In other words, I've got one wife, and I'm not in the market for two. Now, has everybody, can you witness that you've heard me say that this morning? Okay, I've stated the previous because I'm a, what I'm about to say is risky at best. I can't afford to be misunderstood here, so please listen carefully and uh, pay very careful attention and put off all judgment until you hear me out. This is no time to go to the bathroom. 
right now. I need you to hear me so that I'm not misunderstood. But I do have a public confession to make. And I think you have a right to know, and I'll feel better to get it off my chest. But for a long time now, I've been involved with another woman. Shocking, I know, I know, I know. Our relationship continues even to this day. Please don't go running to my wife and my children. They know all about her. We've got it all worked out. All I ask you to do this morning is allow me to tell you about the other woman. You see, I can't really recall when I met her for the first time. I think my mom may have introduced her to me. At least she spoke of her sometimes. And she has such an, a lovely, such a lovely and attractive name. Uh, it's even mentioned in the Bible, if that'll help. Uh, and I'm sure you've heard plenty of wonderful and sweet-sounding and ladylike names. And, ah, but her name is so sweet and so lovely and so tenderly etched into my mind and it drips with a sugary, honey-like substance and influence. Her name, of course, is Wisdom. Now, I became acquainted with her mainly through her pet name, uh, which I'm kind of reluctant to tell you because I'm afraid you'll laugh. It's kind of funny sounding name for a girl. And so... I'll tell you what, I'll just give you her initials instead. They are KJB. We'll just call her KJ for short. Now, over the years, I've become quite attached to her. I have many times snuggled in bed between my God given wife and KJ. And during the darkest hours of my life, I have often slept with her underneath my pillow, hoping to dream of wisdom's beauty and hear her enchanting voice. But somehow just her presence beneath my head afforded me some measure of comfort and reassurance just by her being. Though she has been the apple of mine eye, I must admit I have had an eye for others and eventually developed a harem of about 14 of them, all of them English-speaking beauties. But there arose a mighty contention within the camp. KJB seemed the most concerned. Uh, she shouldn't have been. While I did spend time with the others, I always kept coming back to her. But she was persistent. She wouldn't quit. She kept insisting that none of the others were telling me the whole truth. And they all kept pointing fingers at KJB and saying, KJ's got a holier-than-thou attitude. And she's even making up stuff and adding to the Word of God. 
Han har fan. I didn't know who to believe. And I just was about ready to give up the ghost when all of a sudden I somehow noticed that that they all seemed to be so resentfully envious of KJ. As it has been said, envy striketh most spitefully at the fairest and the cheapest. Which reminds me of something that uh, KJ told me one time when we were together all alone. Jealousy is as cruel as the grave, she whispered. Now to make matters worse, I kept hearing these rumors from powerfully credible witnesses, you know, with strings of degrees. That what KJ has been telling me all along is not like it really is originally. Not only that, they claim she's been intentionally hiding little nuggets from me. How could a lowly peon, remember our definition, like me, refute their accusations? All heartbroken and not willing to make her a public example, I was minded to put her away privily. There was only one that I would consider to take her place. And out of respect, I'll not mention her name either. But her initials are N-A-S-B. I met her once of all places in a religious bookstore. While there were some encouraging her to flaunt herself for the position... Not that she didn't have any competition. Others were pressing around like fashion show models. One hand behind her head, the other on her hip. A teasing smile, glistening eyes, pose there, gyrating. I can't do it right, but anyway. Next they'd swirl around and begin walking away in an exaggerated wiggle. And then with both hands on their hips, they would turn around and stop with a well-defined heel bump. All to make sure I had noticed all of her convenient features. They were heavy on multicolored makeup, highlighting here and there for special emphasis. And all of them kept passing me little footnotes suggesting they had so much more to offer. Them plain little old olives out of style, KJV. And so it was. Of them all, NSAB was the only one I was really interested in, but things haven't gone so well for her lately. I mean, I've heard that her first love has entirely forsaken her. Not only has he renounced all former affection for her, but he flat out refuses to pay her any support. 
And he absolutely will not be associated with or help her in any manner. But more about that later. Uh, it's just another sad tabloid story. <laughs> I'll borrow your sleeve, Brother Mason. <laughs> I, I, I got it right here. Now, while KJ was tender-eyed and rather homely, NASB was very beautiful and well-favored and fair to look upon. It was a real case of plain and fancy. But looking back now, I think NASB, like all the others, was more concerned about her appearance than she was about complete honesty. She tried to make up for her questionable background with a lot of textual cosmetics. And in my opinion, she spent far too much time in the tanning booth working on her exterior. As one of KJB's friends once told me, you can't judge a book by its cover. But, while I thought on these things, behold, my brother Terry appeareth unto me in an email, saying, Hail, Donnie, thou sorely displeased and perpetually perturbed, pondering in perplexity thy precarious preponderant predicament. How long halt thee between two opinions? Fear not to take unto thee KJB, thy dearly beloved. For her background must uh, check thus pass muster, and I'll be fully persuaded that she forsooth doth tell thee the truth, he said rather poetically. What a dilemma I have found myself in. Uh, but there's more. There's juicy gossip going around now that the old gray mare ain't what she used to be. They say KG's finally caved in to peer pressure. Rumor has it that she's already wearing lightly colored lip gloss and attending speech therapy class in an effort to look and sound like all the others. As I understand it, she even calls herself the new KJB. However, they say she is assuring everyone that nothing really important has changed about her. Now these things I've spoken unto you in parables. Have ye understood all these things? Good. So much for the recap. Let's begin. Uh-oh. The Bible, the dilemma. Welcome to another exciting episode. 
Scriptural reading, John 1 and 1. Uh, would you like to stand in honor of the initial reading of the Word of God? John 1 and 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Praise the Lord. Would you just kind of lift your hands under the air right now? Lord Jesus, God, we're gathered here in Your presence this morning. There's much confusion being caused in religious circles throughout Christianity, even in the apostolic ranks. It's not just a general confusion, Lord. It's getting pretty specific. It's striking not just congregations, but individuals. We'd love to have our understanding open and cleared on the matter, God, that we can have confidence in Thy Word. Speak to us this morning, Lord, in Jesus' name. God bless you. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. See, I need a couple of volunteers. James, would you raise your hand, please? Thank you, sir. Come post haste to the platform. Casey, haste. Pronto. Jump over the balcony, brother. Get down here. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Brother James, come right over here. Whoa, what happened to him? Okay. Ah. There you go. Now, he ain't got a clue what's going on. He just volunteered. Brother, sit down. Thank you kindly. Welcome, Brother Casey. You sit right there. All right, now. We'd like to get on into this just a, a little bit further here this morning. I would like to uh, do a demonstration. And uh, been asked, but before we uh, go on any further... Brother James, some of you may want to move over here so you can see what's happening. I don't know. If you can see from there, fine. Lord bless you. Brother James, would you kindly walk over where you can't see the overhead? Just go over there. And uh, don't look back. Remember Lot's wife. Okay. You don't have eyes in the back of your head, do you? Okay, then. Let's look at the picture. Keep your comments quietly where James can't hear them. Let's look at the picture. Okay, see? Study the picture. Okay, see, tell me when you're uh, finished studying. Pretty got it? Pretty much got it? Let's turn the picture off. All right. James, would you come back in, please? James, uh, uh, Casey's going to tell you and demonstrate for you what was there. Now, it's possible that you could have seen this picture at one time or another, and you'd remember it. Maybe he can bring it to your mind. Now, you can talk. You can tell the audience the interpretation of what he's given you. You can even ask him questions. However, Casey's under gag order. He can't use any words. Now, he can grunt. 
He can squeal. He can jump up and down. He can even draft help. But his help can't use words. Okay? James, are you ready to receive a revelation? All right. Casey, go right ahead, brother. Tell him what happened without words. Okay, okay. Now, James, uh, tell the people what what the picture is. It's a guy coming home from the army. Okay, anything else? They do a party for me. Okay. Anything else? Oh, yeah. Saluted his dad. Yeah, okay. Anything else? All right. So, you get the picture? Okay, Casey, we're going to take the gag order off. You can tell him. Describe the picture to him. There we were. The guy comes back from war, looks like. And he's standing in front of his house. His mom is there on the front porch. Dad is up upstairs, up on the roof working. Turn both, they're both looking down at, at him, and mom's happy. But while they've been gone... Of course, the little kids are just running crazy around the place. So that's what I got from it. Uh, do you get the picture, James? Okay, we'll let you see the picture. See if it matches up. Is that what you saw? <laughs> okay, brother, you need to polish up on your interpreting skills. Thank you very much, brother. God bless them. And so, it's not, uh, we, we, we talk about, do you get the picture? Do we, we try to bring it across to you. In interpreting, there is, uh, well, when it comes to choosing words, it's not so much that the words are wrong, though that can be the case. But they're weak. And uh, 
Could you tell that our interpreter knew that there were better words and he was hunting for them? He was on the spot. But not only are there better words, there are superior words. Those that are among the best. So we see there is more to interpretation than just looking up a word in a dictionary. Though that can be a big help, there's knowledge, skill, and work that is involved. Now, it's your turn. You interpret. What's happening here? Tell somebody. Well, I haven't just a moment. I may have given him the wrong clue. Jonathan, it's, uh, it's the next picture. Uh, the picture after the uh, the one we showed James. Is there another picture there? There we go. What's happened there? There's pictures worth a thousand words. Now some of you might be able to do a better job of interpreting this story because of experience you've been there. Okay, a picture may be very well worth a thousand words, but it'd be very difficult to describe a picture without words. And for the purposes of our study, the Bible does not say in the beginning was the picture. It says in the beginning was the word. God Himself began creation not by using pictures, but by using words. And when He communed with the first man, Adam, He didn't use flashcards. He used words. He chose to use words. And so we see that words have been around at least since the beginning of time. Now this is not to discredit pictures. They certainly... Uh, have their place and, but more, more closely to the beginning of time, Joseph interpreted Pharaoh's motion pictures that he saw in his dreams. And to do so, Joseph used words. Later on down in time, Daniel comes along and he interpreted the king's moving pictures. That he saw in his dream. He likewise used words. And even further on down in time, about 2,000 years ago, Jesus took John to the movies, or, or rather showed him some movie pictures, moving pictures there. There were seven churches in Asia who did not have tickets to see what John was about to see. And Jesus wanted John to let these seven churches know what he would be seeing in the new release in the upcoming video, or vision. To do so, Jesus told him to use of all things, words. Namely, he said, what thou seest, write in a book. And so it is. We're still using words today, I think. Uh, they may sound funny in Kentucky jargon, but we use words. A little different here and other places. 
It's a violin in New York. It's a fiddle in Kentucky. They curse in the New England states. We cuss here. Or we, we shouldn't be. I mean, we, you know what I mean. Ah, no. So, thus it's been all throughout history. Words have been the foremost and an excellent means of exchanging thoughts and ideas among those made in image of the original word. Therefore, using words must be the best method of communication. After all, it's a method that God Himself chose. Words. What will we do without them? We're talking about the wonderful world of words. Now, before the days of computer, I used to sit for long periods of time with a good English dictionary uh, looking up definitions of words and tracing etymology, word origins, where words came from. I know it sounds kind of nerdy, but I'd have a blast doing that. I've often told people that you can obtain a pretty good education just with a dictionary alone. Uh, no. uh, so we find out that... Uh, as the translators of the King James Bible say, there'll be some words that be not of the same sense everywhere. The same word, but not the same sense. Not the same meaning. Not the same definition. And so it is that combining forms, which are used to make words, may have more than one meaning as well. Sometimes words themselves are combined to make a new word. Or combining forms. For example, prefixes and suffixes. Although, well, this ain't English class and, and I'm not, uh, I'm not qualified to teach English. I live in Kentucky. And, uh, so, these are combined to make new words. And depending upon the dictionary uh, consulted, the definition may vary somewhat, vary a little bit. Now, those that are studying or using medical terminology are especially aware of combining forms and word combinations. Here are some of the more common ones. Right here. Diction. Diction. A word. Diction to speak. Remember, they used to dictate and secretary to take it down on a stenographer's pad. Dictionary. I haven't... Uh, it's a word. Diction is a word. Ere means pertaining to. It means pertaining to words. Our next one. Thermometer. Now, I've kept this simple. I haven't reverted back to the original words. The English language is made up of a whole lot of Latin, a whole lot of Greek, French, and, and, and a smorgasbord of others. But mainly those right there. But this word right here, if you take it back to where it came from, it's thermos. You've ever thermos? You've heard of a thermos? Okay. Thermo means heat. Meter is measure. It means to measure heat. See how words give understanding? Our next one. Thermostat. Thermo. Heat. You know that. 
stationary to maintain the temperature. That's what that thing back is there on the wall. That's what we do with it. We do that to stabilize the temperature in here. That's what a thermometer uh, thermostat's for. Our next one. Photograph. Photo means light. Graph means to draw. It's a light drawing. Let me show you a light drawing of my grandchildren sometime. Our next one is biography. Now in school we used to get all these mixed up. Uh, maybe you had the problem too. We'll give you a little clue here to how to keep these straightened out. But we have... Biography. Bio is life. The graphy part, it means to write. It's to write of another person's life. Write of somebody else's life. So look at, let's look at autobiography. Auto means self. Bio means life. Graphy means to write. This is to write of one's own life. Write about myself. How about Automobile. Auto is self, mobile to move. It'll move itself. Back in the early 1800s, to those people, early 1900s, to those people, it meant that you didn't need a horse to pull it. Or you shouldn't. Now here's some more specifically related to the purpose of our study this morning. Let's look at this first word, Jonathan, if you would please. Script, that means something written. Our next word. Scribe, means to write. You've heard of the scribes in the Bible? That's what they did. They did more than that, but they did write. Okay, the next one is scripture. Script, is to write. The, this part right here is a result. It's a writing, the result of writing. Scripture. You have different kinds of scripture. You have, uh, uh, we have the holy scriptures, but there are other scriptures. They're not Bible. But we call these the scripture for short sometimes. But we, when we say scripture, we're referring to the holy writings of God. And, uh, so let's go to, uh, the next one. Autograph. Auto, you know that means self. Graph means to write. Written with one's own hand. Write it yourself. We've come to real, uh, notice it today. You know it today as an autograph or as a signature. Okay? Our next one. Manuscript. You know that one? Manu is hand. To write by. It's written by hand. Okay? Now we go to our next one. It's transcribed. Trans. Uh, uh, this would really be trans, S there, but you've got the S in the scribe part. Trans in this case means over. Scribe is to write, is to write over, to copy, and to do it poorly is to transcribble. Okay, then we have, we'll be getting some of these, Lord willing, into the future lessons, hoping, trying to keep this at an interesting level. We have the word transliterate. Trans, this time means across. Literate is letters. To write a letter or word in the characteristics of another alphabet. In other words, the Greek letter, that's key or chi. In English, it will be written with a CH. That's transliterated from Greek, such as in Bach. 
You don't change the words, you just change the letters till you can read it in English. It's still, uh, we'll hopefully get into that in the future. Now let's go to the word translate. Trans, cross, or over, and carry. It's to carry over, to turn from one language to another. Now this time, that's the difference between translate and transliterate. Transliterate, you're not changing it into another language. You're just changing the, the letters to another language. We're still in the original language. But translate is to bring it over to another language. Now let's look at the next one, Jonathan. Interpret. Uh, that comes from Latin. It means explainer. And then uh, uh, interpreter. Do I have that one on there, Jonathan? Is that next? Yeah, okay. I don't have it on my notes. Interpreter. One who explains. That's what Casey was trying to do. Explain and get across to James. He wasn't transliterating. He wasn't translating. He was interpreting. Trying to get the meaning across. Now today, it's used uh, interchangeably sometimes. Translate and interpret used interchangeably. But there is a difference. Okay. One more word. Ignorant. Now this word... We'll use that word and we'll buy, buy uh, facial expressions and body gestures, body language and so on. We'll give that word a meaning that we'll say, they're ignorant. But that's not what the word means. The word simply means unaware, uninformed. Here's a uh, uh, here's an example right here. It doesn't mean stupid or unable to learn. It simply means unaware and informed. An example in Scripture is 1 Corinthians 10 and 1. Moreover, brethren, I would not have, would not that you should be uninformed or unaware. Don't want you ignorant. And then in 1 Corinthians 11:3. It says it differently. But I would have you know so that you won't be unaware and so that you won't be unlearned or uh, uninformed. Someone that said that being ignorant is not a shame, but being unwilling to learn is. In dealing with our own language, you can learn all of this by simply using Simply using a good English dictionary. But, the dictionary now, this is what I used to use years ago, the older ones. See where I'm, and then this is the uh, computer now. But, there is more to translation and interpretation than just simply looking up the original word in a Greek Hebrew dictionary. Hebrew Greek dictionary. Now, I'm not knocking this thing entirely. It is a brilliant work. But there's more to interpretation than looking up the original word in that book. Much more. You will get yourself confused when you keep it up with that. Look at your King James Bible and look at this right here and you start, keep going, just keep at it. I, I know, I used to do a lot of it. I still do. Occasionally. But there are things that will clash 
with what's in your King James Bible appear to, then you've got to make the decision who's the final authority. Forty-seven translators that knew lots of languages or one man that used about a hundred people to help him compile this. Who's your final authority? If it's this, you've knocked my Bible plumb out from under me. Sometimes even breaking down the Word like we did earlier is uh, not enough. The radical meaning or the root meaning. Now, I'll throw this out a little bit ahead of time. If you go to that book out there to the front of your Hebrew and your Greek dictionary, it will tell you that these are the radical meanings of the words. That means the root meaning. You, will, you know by using your English dictionary. You can go to root meanings of word, but definitions are different. They may, they may tie back to that, but definitions sometimes will be different. But lest I wear you, let's go on. The root word is pretty much fixed, but the meaning of words cannot always be fully established by the root meaning alone. One must have the definition. And some words have more than one sense. Or it wouldn't be, or it shouldn't be, translated in the way it was if the sense were not there in the context. Context, in other words, how it's used, the whole, the whole sentence, the whole paragraph, the whole theme of the book determines the definition of the word. For example, let's take the word down. The word down. Now, let me ask you this right here. How do you get down off an elephant? How do you get down off an elephant? Friend, you don't get down off an elephant. You get down off of a duck. We say, okay, Donnie, how do you get down off of a duck? It's simple. You need a ladder. Okay, I'm pulling your leg. But you see, the context makes all the difference in the world. Context defines the word. Context matters. There is more to translation and interpretation than just simply looking up the original word in a Hebrew Greek lexicon. Now look, I'm not saying you're sinning if you do that. I'm not saying you're going to go to hell. I'm just saying don't try to lead me astray from my KG Bible by your personal definition, interpretation, by going back and using that book. It caused me to lose confidence in my King James Bible. That's all I'm saying. The wonderful world of words. In the beginning, there were many words and one language. Translation wasn't necessary. Then you remember the Tower of Babel. God added more languages. And this is part of the dilemma. If one doesn't use the words of my language, I cannot understand him. He's a barbarian. 
to me. He's a pointer to me. He's just a calfumpian. I thought that word fit pretty good right here today. Jonathan, do I have that slide there? Okay, thank you, brother. In other words, just a noisemaker. It's kind of like, uh, if I run out of something to say this morning, I start screaming and pounding the pulpit and everything, doing all that because I've run out of something to say <laughs> and occupy your attention the rest of the time with noise. But if a person doesn't speak my language, he's a calithumpian. He's just a noisemaker. I ran into this situation once, visiting my, uh, my wife's uh, nephew in Indiana. They had uh, an exchange student from Germany. And that was a graduation. And the parents of the exchange student came over, and they were there at the party that they had at the uh, garage's home there. And so this couple, a nice-looking couple, uh, they got out and they walked around the block and come back, and they were waving at people and so forth. And they walked up to where I was standing in a group of people. And uh, I greeted them, and they stood there, and I said, now, I knew they were from Germany. I said, have you ever seen the Audubon? They looked at me, eyebrow kind of wrinkled, looked at each other, didn't say nothing. I said, you know, the, the highway Hitler built, you know, to... To, in order to move his troops real fast. And, and there's no speed limit on the highway. You can drive as fast as you want to. Have you ever seen that? And they looked at each other. I thought, something's wrong here. And it was. I was a Californian to them. I was just making noise. They didn't understand English. The boy did, but not them. And... Uh, so, I'd just as well been I'm a, unable to hear entirely or them. So, my speech had no meaning to them. Their speech would have no meaning to me. I must have their words in my language. Likewise, the Bible is written in a language that is foreign to me. I must have it in my language. I must have it in English. William Tyndale had this to say. I have perceived, this is way back uh, centuries ago, I have perceived by experience how that it was impossible to establish the lay people in any truth except that the Scripture were plainly laid before their eyes in their mother tongue that they might see the process, order, and meaning of the text. They had to have it laid before their eyes in their mother tongue. Who said it's impossible to establish them in truth if they can't see the Word of God in their own language. I perceive by experience that it may soon be impossible to establish any assembly in any truth if all this chopping and hacking at the mother tongue continues unchallenged and unabated. For the mother will no longer have a tongue left wherewith to speak. And wherewith doth they chop and hack, thou mayest house? By undermining the mother's credibility with such doubt-producing words such as, Mother says such and such and so and so. 
But in the original, and they usually mean strongs, it really means such and such and so and so. Somehow a haunting suggestion from the ancient past ghostly comes to mind. Yea, hath God said. So many words, so many choices. And this is not just another book we're dealing with. As the translator said, this is the Word of God which we translate. Right words must be chosen. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pitchers of silver. Choosing right words is not as easy as one might hope. To add to this, there are synonyms. Words that have the same or similar meaning, but not all synonyms are created equal. Of these synonyms, which do you fear most? Anger of God or wrath of God? You don't want either, really. But this one suggests that you've got time to make it right. This one suggests that it's too late. Or it's going to get to. This means, the anger of God means, uh, can we have the definition, Jonathan? Did I put it on there? Yeah, okay, the anger, anger, the most general is, is strong displeasure. Wrath applies especially to anger that seeks vengeance or punishment. They're synonyms. One's weaker than the other. One is superior than the other, depending on the point you want to get across. So there is that to consider. What was the translator's goal that gave us the King James Bible? Their worthy goal was this, but we desire that the Scripture may speak like itself. We'll find out more about that in future lessons, Lord willing. As in the language of Canaan, that it may be understood even by the very vulgar. It don't mean by those that cuss and swear. Vulgar means common. It was used to mean common back then, or proper language. Be understood even by the most common. You've heard of the Latin vulgate? The Latin common. Common Latin. Okay. In reading the translators to the reader, uh, we can see that they, what they could have done, sometimes sit down and read the translation, translators to the reader. Uh, no, you will see what I mean. They could have done something, they could have put it in high dollar English, and it would have gone something like this. Individuals who perforce are constrained to be domiciled in richer structures of patent frangibility on no account should employ petrous formations as projectiles. Can you say amen? Or would it be better like this? People who live in glass houses shoot those stones. I can understand the last one. Though that is in my language, I can't understand it. 
Well, I can't because I've looked up each of these words. It's filled with too many expensive words. The translators could have done that. Read the translators to the reader. And I still need an interpreter. You put it in English like that. But I don't want a dumbed down version either. Who's the dumbed down version by yours truly? Once upon a time, there were no people. But there was God. God said, I'm going to make a man. And He did. He made him out of dirt. But He was not a dirty man. He was nice and clean. He was brand new. God named him Adam. God said, Adam... See that tree? No, 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 Adam. It will hurt the baby. While Adam was sleeping, God took one of his bones and made a woman out of it. He brought her to Adam and said, Looky here what I made, Adam. Adam thought she was the prettiest woman in the whole world. He named her Eve. One day a sneaky snake came strolling through the garden. He talked to Eve. He said, that tree won't hurt the baby. Take a bite. So Eve took a bite. She wanted Adam to take a bite too. So Adam took a bite. They both felt really bad. They ran and hid. But God found Adam. He found Eve too. God said, Adam. I said, no, no, no. You did not obey. Bad boy. God told Eve that she had disobeyed too. God told that mean old snake, you will have to crawl on your belly from now on. God was sad. Adam was sad. Eve was sad. The snake was sad. Everybody was sad. God said to Adam, now you and Eve cannot stay in my garden anymore. You will have to leave. So Adam left the garden. Eve left the garden too. Adam was not happy. Eve was not happy. She even cried. And they lived miserably ever after. What is this? This is for babies. This is milk. It don't have any meat in it. Right and fitting words must be chosen. And we can see there is more to translation than one may be aware of, and there's more to interpretation than just simply looking up the original word in the Hebrew Greek dictionary. There's got to be a better translation than either one of them. One may be able to read Greek and even write and speak a little bit of it, but there's more to translation than that. And there's a world of words to choose from. Some are weak. Some are better. And some are superior. 
And it's the superior wording that we want. Is there a Bible anywhere like that? A wonderful world of words. Words. They are the tools in translation and they are the keys to understanding. What will we do without them? And there's the Word. What will we do without Him? In the beginning was the Word. And let me tell you, friend, with all calm assurance, in the end it shall still be the Word. In the beginning, there was only one word. Today, we have many words, Bibles. Each proclaiming their authenticity or their, their uh, accuracy. They're, they're the one to listen to. But the true word shall be the victor. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful. And true, his eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. May I tell you that he's not only the King of kings and the Lord of lords, but he is the Word of words. Jesus is not only that, but in the world of words, He's the Lord of words, He's King of lords, He's the words, He's the cheapest of them all, and there is no synonym for Him. For because beside Him there is none other, there is none like Him, there is none similar to Him. Behold, the Lord our God is one Lord. Yes. It is Him that we preach. We use words to preach the Word. Thus I need a Bible in my language. In the wonderful world of words, He is King. Oh yes, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, this series is dedicated to the Word of Words. Gentle listener, please stay tuned for another exciting episode of the Bible. Good health and God bless.
Thank you for tuning in today. I pray that God has given you a blessing that is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Come back for more great messages from Pastor Morrison and Calvary Apostolic Lighthouse.